<laughs> Welcome to Bashy Live, everybody. <laughs> Apparently, I was not ready. I thought I was ready. Uh, my mic wasn't even ready. Guys, welcome uh, to the show. It's going to be uh, a great guest today, Matt Becker, um, originally from Pennsylvania, tra Tennessee transplant, making his way over on the Bass Pro Tour, doing an, doing amazing work, and had just a big, big week uh, this week out at Saginaw Bay. He picked up the AOY. He, man, he picked it up against some of the, the toughest competitors that there are, including Jacob Wheeler, who was breathing down his neck, uh, as well as overcame the goat, uh, which is probably the hardest thing to do ever in fishing. Uh, the great KVD, who led the event uh, going into the last day, and, and Matt came from back in the pack a little bit to overtake Kevin to overtake Jacob, to take the AOY, and won the tournament doing it. <laughs> Just amazing, amazing week. And we're going to be talking to Matt uh, here shortly. Uh, a lot of you may be new to Matt Becker, right? He's he's relatively new on the scene. And uh, to, man, just making a name for himself big time, uh, in the, especially in the last week. Obviously, he's had a great season. We're going to be talking about all the bodies of water and, and all of his great success this year. Thrilled to have him. Thrilled to have him as a Bash University instructor. As a matter of fact, our own Riz uh, worked with Matt this classic, and we've got a, a great tight-lining seminar from Matt Becker that he delivered for Bash University that we're going to be releasing in the very, very near future. Yep. Well done, Riz. Stay tuned for that one. Coming out next week. Yeah, so Matt. Matt's got a pretty cool story. He's a, uh, you know, he's a Pennsylvania guy, um, you know, and he's, he's really worked his way up through the, uh, through the MLF ranks and previously the FLW ranks. And I'm excited to talk with him a little bit about that, because if you go to his Bassmaster stats, he only has two Bassmaster events under his belt. Wow. Meanwhile, he's made oh, oh, almost $800,000 fishing on the MLF side of things. That includes three major wins, uh, a 2017 win out on the St. Lawrence River, a 2021 win uh, on the Tackle Warehouse Pro Tour, as well as a Toyota Series Angler of the Year in 2021 in the Northern Division. And then this week, you know, just a few days ago, he decided to add in a couple more feathers to his cap with a win in the MLF Bass Pro Tour win on Saginaw Bay and as well as an angler of the year title. So, you know, this guy's really got a lot, uh, a lot, a lot of wins and a lot of successes under his belt. So I'm excited to talk with him, Pete, about kind of the road and the journey. And, you know, he, he made some bold moves in his career. He, he decided to stay strictly on the MLF previously FLW route. Um, and he made a move from Pennsylvania to Tennessee. Like, what does that look like? How do you just, up and take everything and roll um it's it's the it's dream it's a dream of all anglers to do that right just to pack it up and uh and take it on uh moving south so many have done that and he's not he's another one let's see let's gonna be a great uh great story looking forward to hearing it is a great story matt becker uh fresh off his aoy win his win at saginaw bay yep. um Guys, get your questions together for Matt. Uh, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be passing those questions along. We've got some great prizes for all of you guys today, so pay attention uh, to what we talk about today because we're gonna be asking uh, 
a bash you style question and we'll be giving away a grand prize which is what we have some lovely Cortland line braids yes. <laughs> um and our missile uh baits they're the rusty oh no rusty, rusty crawl. crawl yes custom baits only available at tackle direct we're brought to you by tackle direct studios but this is a really cool custom bait called rusty crawl we're going to be giving these away and you if you would like to get them uh, the fish have not seen them. I guarantee it. It's only available at Tackle Direct uh, right now. We also have a like and share, of course, our great our great uh, partners with Waterwood, uh, who build amazing uh, handmade crankbaits. These are super uh, tough, and they their shapes and actions are 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 the best in the business. They're they're crafted after some of the best crankbaits that were ever ever crafted so uh check them out waterwood custom baits like and share the feed and uh we're going to be hooking you guys up with uh one of you guys up with some waterwood crankbaits so um that's what we got going on we we also if, if you guys haven't subscribed yet get over and get that done we're going to take a quick break we're bringing on matt becker and we're going to be talking with him so if you haven't subscribed we have a blow up bonanza going on right now which uh, for annual subscribers, we have a great gift pack with some great Rapala topwater baits and uh, some other really cool stuff at Bash University. Go over to bashu.tv and get yourself signed up, and uh, and we're going to be giving away some cool prizes you to won't, you guys. You won't regret it, guys. It's uh, if you haven't if you haven't dove into the world of the Bash University and Bashu TV, man, it's such such great information. Um, you know, everything from the mental side of fishing to technique specific uh, content, as well as, you know, even lake specific content. Like if you're a guy that lives out, say, in Texas and you're close to Lake Fork or Sam Rayburn or any of those East Texas lakes, we got you. We got Lee Livesey out on Lake Fork actually fishing uh, with on water content. We have seminars from Keith Combs that he's focused, you know, he really gives some deep dives on, you know, his body's water. And that, that applies to all over, you know, we have, uh, we have the, our instructor lineup is all the top guys, everybody that's the best at what they're doing in the sport. That's who we're working with. So, you know, it's, it's a well worth investment if you are serious about your bass fishing. Or you just want to get better. Honestly, uh, the content is there. We built it to help you guys catch more and bigger fish, help yes, take you to the next level. And uh, I'm so excited. We have Matt Becker uh, teaching, and we're going to be releasing that soon at Bashu TV. Uh, thrilled that, that we have that, thrilled that we have him as a guest on today. So we're going to take a real quick break. We're going to be right back with uh, MLF's AOY, Matt Becker, right after this. Portland Line Master Braid, America's premium super braided fishing line. Manufactured in our Cortland, New York facility and constructed from the highest quality spectra fibers available. Cortland Line Company, made in America since 1915. I have to have the best eyewear. My eyes are essential to doing my job. It's the highest quality lens that I've ever used. Top of the line performance in these glasses. But they're priced for absolutely everyone. The everyday angler can afford them. As a touring professional pro, if I can depend on them, I know the weekend angler can as well. Hobie eyewear, built for the pros. Price for everyone. 
What's going on? It's Riz here from the Bash University, and I am excited to welcome in Waterwood Custom Baits to the Bashu family. These are custom handmade baits in the south rainforest of Brazil. They're made of Marupa Pedra wood. It's extremely dense, it's resistant, but it's also really buoyant. They're made of quality components with a 100% guarantee. They're made for tournament anglers to get it done when the money is on the line. Guys, that was like my second cast with this bait. That's a Waterwood custom bait. These things are handmade in the rainforest south of Brazil. And I mean, as you can see right here, it's a fish catching bait. It's got the front hook. That means they wanted it. This bait's, uh, it, it's running really true. It throws really well. Guys, check them out at waterwoodcustombaits.com. underwater viewing technology. Find what you are looking for. Catch more fish. Have more fun. Aquaview. Seeing is believing. Why do you love catching fish and rods? I'm truly losing less fish. Is the sensitivity of the rod. That are made right here in North Carolina in the USA. Strongest, lightest rod, 100% made here in Sanford, North Carolina. From the drop shot rod to the flipping stick. Every rod has a purpose to it, and I rely on them all the time when I'm out there in the tournament. Durability in the John Cruz Worming Series, the counterbalancing in the handle. It's the only rod I've found that can withstand my hooks up. Boom, goes the dynamite. On the water, not spent fishing is a moment wasted. That's why Minkota and Humminbird have joined forces to bring you the One Boat Network. Products that communicate and integrate to help you take full command of your boat. Born from our commitment to making the most advanced fishing gear even better by making it work together, the One Boat Network will help you find, get to, stay on, and catch more fish. When One Boat Network products talk to each other, they can navigate your boat automatically. They can give you a crystal clear view of what's below with no messy wires. And they can let you lower, raise, and change shallow water anchor modes from anywhere on the boat. But that's just the beginning. We're never done innovating, integrating, and making your boat simpler and easier to control. All so you can make every second on the water count. Welcome back to Bass University Live. Everybody very excited about today's show. We have uh, the MLF AOY uh, coming on. Matt Becker, fresh off of his win at Saginaw Bay, and thrilled thrilled to have him. I know he's traveling, and uh, we're we're tying up his practice a little bit, Riz. So uh, let's let's get him on. There he is. I see it. he's uh, 
you just got your big trophy. I see them in the back, and you just pack those trophies up, and you're already off to the next tournament site, Matt. Yeah, I I can't get enough. You know, I just love bass fishing so much. I I left uh, Saginaw Bay and drove over 11 hours here to the St. Lawrence River, and now I'm about to head out and catch a few more smallmouth. So I, I just can't get enough of those big, beautiful smallmouth. I'm guessing you're going to be taking those trophies everywhere you go now. <laughs> oh yeah, I've been sleeping with them for sure. <laughs> no, they've been they've been riding buckled up in the back seat and uh, just making sure we get them home safe. You know. It's uh, I keep looking back at them, making sure that it's real. It seemed like a dream here the last couple of days. So having them right there to keep looking back at it, just, it just makes it feel more real for me. Well, it's, it was a tremendous, uh, tremendous event, a uh, big giant congratulations for that. You overcame, uh, and I know I said it in the open of the show, but man, uh, you overcame some monsters. You had, uh, you know, Jacob Wheeler breathing down your neck for the AOY. Uh, of course, you had you had to run down uh, KVD, uh, who was had an amazing uh, day one of the finals, and you you had to run. You you overcame so much. You earned every bit of those trophies, and uh, just a huge congratulations to you. Job well done. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really special, especially the way it all went down. You know, to to one be fishing even just be in the final day, the top 10, the final tournament of Kevin Van Dam's career. I mean, that guy's the greatest of all time. So it was just special being there. Mm. And then about halfway through the day, I start catching a few fish and I'm like, I could actually beat Kevin Van Dam on his last day of competition. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like that's something I could keep with me for the rest of my life. And, uh, it kind of gave me a little extra edge there to, for the, the afternoon. And, and I'm like, I want to make that happen. You know, I, I want to be there, you know, a little tiny bit of me felt a little bad about spoiling his retirement party, you know, but on the other <laughs> hand, like he's a competitor just as, as I am. And, and he wouldn't want it any other way. He wouldn't want anyone to lay up and, and let him win or anything. So we had to give him everything we got. And then on the angler of the year side as well, I mean, golly, the guys caught him so good this year, you know, Jacob Wheeler's the hottest angler in the world right now. And, and he is, at the top of the standings every single year and ought the foe and have both of those guys, all three of us make the top 10. We are essentially tied starting the final day. So we're all sitting there tied. All still have a shot at angler of the year. You know, even Alton Jones jr. Had a great year and, and he was still mathematically alive heading into the final day. So it was a really exciting day for the sport, for bass fishing, for angler of the year, for the fans. I mean, I couldn't imagine watching that, you know, um, it, it had to be pretty special. It was special to watch. I think, uh, the viewership was probably as big as it gets. And, uh, cause it, so much was on the line. Uh, and then of course you had the KVD magic to it as well. And it was fascinating, um, to go through the math with it, uh, as the, the, you know, JT and the boys were, were commenting, uh, <clears throat> At a point, you and uh, Jacob Wheeler were tied for AOY. And um, the mathematically, like if you finished in a tie, I guess he would have he would have won the tie, the first two tiebreakers. So you you had to beat him. You had to finish ahead of him, uh, which you which you did decisively, which is in, you know impossible to do. But to, you're exactly right to to fish a whole season and to have you know, four players in a position to win that AOI on the last day. 
I, I, I mean, that may never happen again. Yeah, that was it was a special year for sure. And and I mean to come down to the end like that, it was it was really special. And and to come out on top just means so much more to me, just just because of the way it all went down. And I mean, it's my first year on the Bass Pro Tour, so like it's gonna be oh. hard to top this for sure. So you, there's a rookie of the year in the mix in here too. I guess. I mean, I, I is there I no award like for this, it? This angler of the year trophy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're angler of the year, you're obviously rookie of the year yeah. as well. Yeah, well, I, I guess. I guess you're right. And and that's something because uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, which I often am mistaken, but the uh, I think KVD his rookie season. He was AOY in his rookie season too. No uh, what, what a yeah, Correct. what 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 a crazy uh crazy stat. Ken Duke, you're gonna have to check my facts on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the way it went down. Um wow, that's yeah, pretty crazy. Right? Yeah, that that is that is really crazy. And um and what what a fun event to watch. Um you guys you made it you made it such uh, a fun event to watch. You came, uh, you were a little bit down and, and you know, a, a few pounds behind and to have to come back and, uh, and, and overtake, uh, Kevin and, and all the rest, you did it in a, in kind of a really special way by, uh, by having a giant stringer, but it, it seemed like every day you had to make an adjustment to do well in this tournament. Yeah, you know, Saginaw Bay is such a diverse fishery. I mean, really the, the Great Lakes in general, you know, it's all about decision-making and playing the conditions and the weather, but Saginaw Bay just kind of added another element to that with the largemouth being in play and different wind directions. There's not a whole lot of current in there. And I mean, there's so many factors that go into that, that bay or our playing field there, you know, our off limits was one that really there wasn't a whole lot of smallmouth water available in our, in our playing field. So there was, you know, one area that had a decent amount of smallmouth, but a lot of people found it and uh, they were getting a lot of pressure. So as the week went on, those fish kind of slowed down and, and got really smart. The pressure got to them. They stopped biting. And uh, obviously the largemouth fishing is incredible there. I mean, there is no problem to go catch 30, 40, 50 largemouth throughout the day, straight braid, heavy rod, just having a great time catching them, power fishing and having fun. So all of those factors are going through my mind and, and really all of it played a factor in this tournament win. So if we want to dive into that, I could kind of go through how each day went and uh, go from there. Yeah. I, I would like to dive into that, but I see rich you're playing around with some really cool images. I don't know. Can you bring that KVD image back up in short fashion? No, geez. Yeah. This image is, uh, is amazing. We're talking about this. Uh, tell us, tell us, I mean, this is this is a really young Matt Becker here with the with the goat. Tell us about this picture. Yeah, that is uh, the Bassmaster Classic in 2005 in Pittsburgh. So I grew up around Pittsburgh. You know, I, I just recently moved to Tennessee, so Pittsburgh's home for me. And uh, you know, I'll never forget that when the Bassmaster Classic came in 2005. I still have a bunch of pictures. I, I even have autographed cards and you know all that kind of awesome. stuff from that tournament somewhere in the house that, uh, you know, all of the guys I'm fishing against now, you know, we got plenty of, of autographs and, and pictures and stuff signed from all the guys I'm fishing against now from that classic. But at that point, you know, I just was ate up with fishing, but 
I had no idea I would ever be here today. I mean, it, it's pretty crazy to to come full circle and then to be fishing against Kevin on his last day and to come out on top. I mean, that just it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah, that's that's a. Uh... That's obviously special. Uh, Kevin influenced so many people in the sport of fishing, myself included. And uh, um, wow, what a, what a neat deal to see you at such a young age and 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 to be in the spot you're in right now. I know we had some IM questions um, uh, for Matt early on. I, um, why don't you go ahead and uh, share some of those? You kind of touched on it, but Will Shelby said, we know you're a big KVD fan and we've seen your picture of him when you were really young by winning this tournament. Was it bittersweet for you or were you in the mindset that you finally beat someone you've looked up to for such a long time? It was a little bit of both. Like I said, I was, I was like just a tiny little bit. I felt bad about ruining his, ruining his retirement party. I mean, what a like what a storybook ending it would have been to have Kevin win his final tournament and go out on top. But on the other hand, like the the point I'm at in my career, like I needed that win. It's it's going to be a huge help for me, my brand, my career, and my competitive side. Of course, like if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. So like anytime you can beat the best anglers in the world, like it just, it's means so much to me and it's just makes it that much more special. So to go one, two with, with Kevin in his final event, um, it, it's pretty crazy. And, and, you know, even throughout the day, the, the final day there, um, you know, I have the lead and in my mind, I'm thinking about how many other anglers have been Van Dam through the years where, they get their first win <laughs> stolen by Kevin Van Dam. And I'm like, Oh geez, it's going to happen. Like he's yeah. going to find, he's going to pull something out somewhere and yep. he's going to steal this one from me. But I'm just glad it, it didn't happen that way that I, I got him back for all the guys that they got Van Dam over the years. <laughs> Count me in that group. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, you know, it was amazing. And, and I love this piece that, that uh, MLF did where they did a pre-interview for all, with all of you guys. Like, I guess before the final day. And that was a similar style question. Like, uh, you know, would, would you lay down or, or you know, are you going to lay down if Kevin has a chance to to win or something like that? And, and, and all the top 10 answered almost verbatim of what you just answered is Kevin wouldn't want that. No. You know? No, no. I mean, like I said, if you want to win, you want to earn it. You know, you want to mm -hmm. beat everyone and, and just come out on top the right way and you know make yes. sure that you did it your way and you beat everybody and and there's no question no laying up or anything like that yeah yeah he would he wouldn't want to win that way and and any no. serious competitor wouldn't want to win that way and everybody gave him the respect and and you're showing the respect by get going out there and giving it your best you know and that's what you that's what you had to do and you did and 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 you wanted uh in, in dramatic fashion and it was uh it was incredible let's uh you know, let, let's talk about it a little bit. I know we started touching on it, uh, but man, what, what a great win. You, you large mouth, small mouth, uh, you know, to get to the qualifying rounds, it, were you doing both species or were you just large mouth centric at what, what got you into the finals? Yeah. So let's back up heading into the tournament, you know, heading into practice. I honestly, I wasn't even thinking about winning the tournament. I was thinking about strictly angler of the year. I was like, I need to get finish as high as I can to get as many points to hopefully finish a few points ahead of Wheeler and ought to win angler of the year. So that was the main thing on my mind the whole week. So 
practice, I spent pretty much all of my time looking for smallmouth. I literally largemouth fished for two hours. I went into and tucked into one little little bay, I guess you would call it off of off of the bay, just kind of a little little cove almost off of the bay where there was some some vegetation and whatnot. And we'll get into that, how that played into it. But I literally practiced for two hours for largemouth. Caught a few fish and, and felt decent. If I needed to catch a few fish, I could run in there and catch them. But I spent, you know, 98% of my practice looking for smallmouth out in, in the lake in, you know, close to the boundary zone. So I found a few fish. I think I only caught, you know, five good smallmouth throughout practice, you know, three to five pounders. So wasn't a whole lot of bites. It was pretty tough fishing smallmouth, but I had one general area, maybe like a three mile square where I had three of those five bites. So I was like, I'm just going to spend my first day of competition in that area and spend all day there, bounce around, fish everything in that little area and uh, just kind of play the wind and, and just milk that area for everything it's worth. So I was group B. So I got to kind of see the weights from group A and, and see how those guys were catching them. And, uh, you know, there was a few guys that caught, caught some big bags and I assumed those were small moths just based on what I'd seen by the large moths. But right. anyway, I go out for my first day and, uh, we got a different wind direction, like totally opposite wind direction than we had in practice. And, uh, kind of cloudy the smallmouth just weren't really biting that first day I, I got really frustrated with them you know i could see a lot of them um, but they just did not want to bite for whatever reason so i only caught i don't know six or seven smallmouth my first day for i think under 13 pounds i think i had 12 14 or something like that um wasn't very good i was sitting in 26th place pretty frustrated with the smallmouth and in, in that area in general so had my next day off, you know, the, you know, we have a day off in between competition days. So I'm sitting there thinking about it and looking at the weather, we were going to have another pretty windy day and another day that I didn't feel real comfortable about catching those smallmouth or catching enough smallmouth that I needed to move on. So I made a decision. I pulled all the, the spinning rods, all the smallmouth gear out of my boat. I rigged up a bunch of rods with straight braid just straight largemouth fishing. Yeah. And I, I, my second day, I went straight to uh, the area that I got a couple bites in that two hours of practice that I went largemouth fishing. And uh, it was a lot better than I had even hoped. You know, I, I think I had 14 pounds in like the first hour and a half. I mean, it was pretty good. I was catching a lot of fish and, and a few of those three pound fish, which were, were gold on Saginaw Bay. So <clears throat> caught, caught, you know, 14 some pounds in like the first hour and a half and ended up staying in that area for the first two periods. So two thirds of the day I stayed in that area. But by the end of the second period, I was just slowly falling down the leaderboard because I wasn't upgrading anymore. And, uh, you know, I'm getting down there close to the cut line. It's like it is ounces make the huh. difference. And I, I knew my total weight was going to be really close to the cut line. <clears throat> but in my heart, I knew I needed one more three pound fish. So I basically sat down in the uh, second period break and looked at my map and I found a, an area that looked similar to where I was currently fishing. You know, there was like a little river that dumped into the bay there. So I found another one that looked similar. It was about 10 miles away. I hadn't even been there in official practice that week. I had driven by it in pre-practice about 
two months prior. It was the end of May. I went up there to pre-practice. So we're talking a month and a half, two months prior that I was there for pre-practice. I, I rode by, I'd fished the area around a little bit and caught a couple small fish in pre-practice, but something told me, let's go over there and, and spend the third period. And we just, I just had to make a change because I knew I had kind of fished out that area. I'd spent the first two periods. So I made a 10 mile run down to that little zone and, and I pulled in, I caught a couple fish right away, but they were all small ones. Kind of milled around that area for an hour and a half or so. And uh, it's getting down to the last hour of the day. And I had fallen to 20th place. I'm sitting on the cut line, getting ready to get bumped out. Man. And uh, something told me to just keep fishing down this stretch a little bit longer. And, and I end up catching what was the most important fish of the entire week. It was a, a 3-3 largemouth that uh, upgraded me, I don't know, 10 or 12 ounces. And it gave me enough weight to finish 19th place and, wow. and just slide into that knockout round. And uh, then the weights are zeroed. And, and from there, the rest is history. <laughs> what? Now tell me about this fish, this this magic fish. What, what, what a frog fish, a chatterbait, spinnerbait. What was this fish? No, so it was it was flipping reeds. So I was I was flipping, flipping a Yamamoto flapping hog with a three quarter ounce flipping weight, epic tungsten flipping weight, fifty <laughs> yeah, pound braid, straight braid, just jacking them with a trocar <laughs> straight shank. Uh, uh, but I I had caught I don't know five or six like small fish, like ten to yep. twelve inches in this area, and there was a little point in the reeds. So I told myself, I'm going to fish to that point. Like that's a high percentage area. And once I get to that point, I'm out of here. I'm going to just go somewhere else and, and just run until I see something that looks good. So I fished down to that point and uh, I don't get any bites. So like I'm thinking in my head, all right, we got to go. But for some reason, something in my gut said, oh, just keep flipping down here. It didn't even look good. I don't know why I just kept, I kept fishing down the, the reed line a little bit further it, it kind of got shallower. Like I could literally see the bottom of these reeds. You know, there was no reason a bass should have been there and uh, just kept flipping down. And, and I'll never forget the bite. You know, I flip, flip my bait in there, sinks to the bottom. I pick up nothing, pick up again, nothing, pick up a third time. And it just starts swimming off. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And I set the hook and I seen it come up right away. And I knew it was a good fish. And, and I, I knew in my heart that was the one we needed. So Got him in the boat. It weighed three, three. And, and as soon as I weighed that fish, like I got goosebumps over my whole body. I don't know why it was just one of those, those times where I was like, man, things like that shouldn't happen. And, and maybe something special is about to happen this week. And I didn't know how it was going to play out at the time, but looking back now, it gives me more goosebumps just thinking about it. That's amazing. What, a, what an amazing fish catch. You, you felt it. you knew you knew that it was going to be something special and uh, what a neat deal. And, and with that bait too, I think you, uh, you know, you've upset rich cause that's his secret flipping bait. I think. That oh no, um, <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm back here just, you know, panicking and scratching my neck thinking about flipping down reed lines. And then my, the next thing that pops into my head is like, how in the world did you say, okay, next time I go out, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go smallmouth fishing and live scope them when you're catching them the most fun possible way in the world. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I had that conversation with my camera guy too, Cody Prather. I mean, he, he was in the boat with me for the second day and through the rest of the tournament, but he, uh, you know, we, we snuck in, made, made, uh, 
the knockout round and, and he got his pairing. He's like, well, I'm with you again tomorrow. So like, we're going to be doing more of the same. And I was like, no, we're going 30 miles out into the middle of the lake. And like, we got to find these small <laughs> because that's going to be my only shot to win. And he's like, no, you're kidding. Right. And I'm like, no, I'm pulling all these rods out. We're done. We're going back to the spinning rods, back to the small moth, just because on average they're bigger. And I knew, I just knew in my heart, there had to be a group of them out there somewhere that, that no one found, or they just showed up somewhere. And, and that's exactly what we ended up finding in the knockout round. Boys and girls, this is lesson on how to win a championship. Unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable decision. Masterclass uh, on decision. <laughs> well, right. I mean, let, let me say, like, it kind of goes back to to uh, my whole approach to the tournament. I mean, I knew I came in just focused on angler of the year. Like, I got to win angler of the year. That's all I was thinking about. Um, but that freedom came from having such a great season prior to that that i was already locked into red crest i was already locked into heavy hitters so it was like i really have nothing to lose all i have to gain is winning the tournament and winning angler of the year because did you 11th place through 40th place pay the same so it's like i just got to go find these winning fish and uh not worry about anything else and so that you know having such a great year up to that gave me that that freedom to do that so when you made the 20 cut to to get to the next round, did that lock up AOI for you? Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, there was all all four of us in contention made the knockout round. Um, oh. And then the knockout round day to make, make the top 10, three of the four guys in contention for Angler of the Year made the top 10. Well, yeah, that's nuts. So it, it, so, it was a pressure cooker. Now you day day one the knockout round. How did it go? Like you were, you didn't come out of that in the lead, right? You made the you made the cut, but you were not. You know, KVD stormed out in front. What was your uh, you? What were you in sixth place uh, after day um, one? I think I was in fifth place. Fifth place. Okay, I think. Yeah. So so the knockout round, I, I went back to the same three mile area that I'd fished the first day of competition. And I come to find out that there was quite a few other guys that had fished there the first day of the tournament. So it was kind of beat up already. And that's probably why I didn't catch them that good the first day, just because they got smashed on the first day. Right. And I fished there for like the first hour of the day, milled around a little bit. I think I, I hooked one and lost them. And I uh, just really wasn't feeling it. So I, I, I knew I had to get out of that area. The pressure was getting to them. So I started venturing around and basically just started practicing. You know, there was a couple other areas that I had one or two bites in practice, really just one bite in practice. Because um, like I said before, I only caught five smallmouth in, in practice. So just kind of bouncing my way around and, and working. I, I knew in my heart that the the winning fish were going to be out around the charity islands area everyone knew it coming in everyone practiced out there but we had a giant full moon in practice and i think it really messed the fish up and and kind of spread them out didn't group them up out deeper where where we were looking for them so i knew if i just kept looking and looking i could find something out there so i went out to the islands and i went to an area where i caught one fish in practice i had one four pound bite there in practice and i just said 
I got out there about the end of the the first period and I'm like, I'm just going to spend probably the whole second period here. I'm going to spend, you know, three hours in this area and I'm just going to look around and, and hopefully find something. So I start fishing around there and, and I catch like a three pounder pretty quick and then a two pounder and get a couple fish on the board. And uh, really the second period is when things all turned around for me. You know, I, I seen a lot of life. I started seeing a lot of fish, a lot of bait up shallower and uh, as I start working out a little bit deeper on this point I catch a glimpse of this school of fish and I I'm 99% sure this is actually the the school of fish that I win the tournament on the final day but I catch a glimpse of them in the knockout round and I catch one of them but then I lose track of them they were just kind of roaming around on this point there was a group of like 10 to 15 smallmouth that were just swim around this area and I, kept, I caught a glimpse of them. I caught one of them in the knockout round, and then they vanished on me. I could never find them again. Um, but I just milled around that area and got a couple key bites. I caught a, a 4.2 maybe and a 4.15, and uh, that jumped me up. And uh, I think I had close to 18 pounds, 17-something, and uh, sitting in fifth place heading into the final day. That's that's awesome. Um don't take practice out of your tournament, Riz. That's one of our, uh, you know, one of our guys, John Sokup. You, I'm sure you know, know him. Yeah. Uh, in one, one of his seminars, said that, and that stuck. It's resonated with us uh, at Bash U. Is to to not take practice out of your tournament. And so oftentimes, guys will get locked in the, you know, what they found at practice, and not not keep that open mind. And uh, and that's what you did here. And you can, you, it's awesome to see and hear this story. Because you're you're developing the pattern, or you're under starting to understand the pattern as the tournament goes on, and that's getting you into the winner circle. But if you're you're finding yourself now three pounds roughly behind the leader, um, going into the final day, uh, knowing KVD like uh, like I know him, um, did, you know that's the force to overcome. Did did uh, did he try? Did he try to do any mind tricks on you? Did he? No, you know, I actually didn't didn't see him at all. He was pretty surrounded by media <laughs> in the morning. And and we were trailer in this event, so it's not like we were all gathered in the boats waiting for takeoff. We were pretty much meeting one spot in the area and then we were trailer in like an hour away from where okay. the actual meeting and and I guess you call takeoff was. So, I didn't really get to see any see him in the morning at all or I'm sure he was uh going to play some mind games cuz I know he's known for that. <laughs> <laughs> do a little Larry Bird trash talking, you know, some mental intimidation on the rookie. I that that would have been his style, I think, maybe. But uh for sure. And I mean, I I honestly at that point, you know, going out the final day, I I mean it it hate to say it, but like I wasn't even considering or thinking about winning the tournament. I literally just had anger of the year on my mind. I'm like, I gotta catch as much as I can, yeah. as high in the standings as I can, and uh, you know hope that jacob wheeler stumbles which those words don't even coexist <laughs> together i mean jacob wheeler never stumbles that guy's the best fisherman in the world right now so all i could do was go out and catch as much as i could and and just see how the the rest of the results played out so i wasn't even thinking about winning the tournament and not to mention i mean van dam was crushing them he he smoked them all three days prior like he had big bags all three days and uh, I didn't see any way that he was going to 
stumble at all. I figured he was going to catch another 20 plus pounds and just blow it out. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, well, you're, you're going out that last day, right? You got, you, you didn't get, uh, you know, you didn't get any interaction with Kevin, but you, you're, you're, that's really not your folks. I hear you, you know, right. You're, you're focused on the AOY and, uh, and trying to separate yourself from Wheeler and Ott at that point. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you, you had your work cut out for you. How did you feel going at that morning when you were taking off? Were you, were you thrilled that, you know, you, you had this school of fish that you were going to go try to hunt down or, or what, where was your head at? I did. I mean, I, I felt very calm going out the final day because I knew, you know, I just had to do my job. There was no nerves or anything. There was no pressure. I just had to go catch as many bass as I could. And, you know, hopefully one of those guys would stumble a little bit and, and end up sneaking into Angler of the Year. So I didn't feel any pressure or anything. You know, it was very relaxed. I went out there and, and I was pretty excited about the uh, the glimpse of hope that I seen in the knockout round, you know, a fresh group of fish and, and they were, they were big, small mouth. They were fresh. They were dumb. They bit instantly. <laughs> and uh, I was pretty excited about that. So I, uh, you know, I, I head out the, the final day and, and I have a really slow first period. So uh, I'm sitting there at the first break. I think I had two fish. I'm sitting in last place, 10th place. And, you know, I'm starting to, to doubt it a little bit. I'm like, man, maybe this different wind direction, the clouds today, the, they're not going to bite. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, these thoughts are running through my mind. Like maybe you just need to lay up and go largemouth fish and, and just try and catch a decent bag. Um, I'm, I'm starting to think these things in the period break, but it was pretty, pretty quick into the uh, second period that I started, I found them again and, and started catching some big fish. And it wasn't long into the second period. We, we were on the top. So we went from 10th to first and uh, never looked back from there. Yeah, that was awesome to watch it go down. The, I was watching most of it and uh, you, you made some comments that were interesting to me. Uh, what, uh, you know, you were. You were like, I, I don't know why these fish are here. They seem to be cruising. There wasn't a rock pile or anything that they were um, relating to. Uh, I, I believe that's what you said. Did you have you since thought about it or tried to figure out what why they were in that area or what they were doing? I've been thinking about it the whole drive ever since, I, and I still have <laughs> no idea why the group wow. of smallmouth was there. I mean, it was it was a long tapering point. I mean, there was a there was a couple little strips of rock you know just kind of the great lakes glacial rock out on on this long tapering point but nothing like your typical great lakes or lake erie lake ontario stuff where there's a sharp drop or big boulders that typically holds a group of smallmouth this was just kind of a slow tapering point and uh the 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 spot where i actually won the tournament was probably a a hundred foot square that this group of, of 10 to 15 smallmouth would just stay in this little square all day. And where they were sitting was literally nothing. It was straight sand. There was no drop-off close by. There was no bait. There was no rock. I have no idea what they were doing there. They were just there. And I would catch a couple, and they'd kind of scatter out and spook off and just kind of swim around, and I'd kind of lose them for a little bit, and I'd come back, you know, 45 minutes, an hour later, and they'd be grouped back up tight somewhere in that little square. And I really have no idea why. It, it, you know, thinking about it now, I mean, it probably is an underwater current thing that we couldn't really see. But yeah. 
there was nothing like around that would be a current break or anything, but surely it, it had probably had to do something with the current. Yeah, I bet you're right. I, I hadn't really thought about that, but you can see that out, you know, I was out, I've been out on the Great Lakes a number of times and especially Lake St. Clair always sticks in my mind because you can see those current seams on Lake St. Clair when it gets calm and you can see them probably better there than anywhere. But, uh, but yeah, those, those smallmouth definitely relate to those seams that, that certainly could explain it. Absolutely. And I still don't even fully understand Saginaw Bay. I mean, I came into it with the mindset of it's it's Lake Huron. It's a great lake. Like it's gonna, you know, I need to find big boulders or rock piles or sharp drops like like I would look for on Lake Erie or Lake Ontario or something like that. And you know, the more I fished there, the more I learned that Saginaw Bay itself sets up nothing like the Great Lakes. You have to fish it totally different, almost like you would a uh, you know, a, a natural inland body of water. It sets up more like its own body of water where they, you know, they just kind of roam around and, and get on flatter stuff. Well, amazing. You, uh, you closed it out and, uh, what, what an amazing end to the year. The, um, you know, you had a big eventful year, right? You had to have, you had a lot of great events this year. Uh, take, take us through that a little bit. Uh, you know, what, what are some of your highlights and your lowlights? uh, from this, this year's AOI? Man, uh, as far as low points, like the first tournament of the year at, at Kissimmee chain, I, I remember after that tournament, I think I finished 47th, you know, I, I didn't make the knockout round. That's the only knockout round I didn't make this year. Um, but it was literally the first tournament of the year. I had a great first day. I was sitting in seventh place after the first day. And, uh, you know, I kind of made a rookie mistake. I, I got a little too confident in, in what I was doing. And uh, I decided to just start the second day practicing rather than catching enough weight and then practicing. I was like, I'm just going to practice and uh, try and find something new, something fresh. And in the process, I'll catch enough weight to make the knockout round and move on. But that didn't work out too well. So I learned my lesson on there. And honestly, it, it may have caused me at different tournaments throughout the year because I found myself making sure that I caught enough fish to, to make the knockout round before I laid off them. So it probably cost me definitely at like Lake Murray, it comes to mind that the first two days of the tournament, I leaned on them pretty hard just because I didn't want to have Toho or yeah, Kissimmee happen again. You know, I, right. I wanted to make sure I caught enough before I laid off and started practicing. So that was probably the lowest point of the year because I was so frustrated. I lost a couple fish that, that would have bumped me in there, but that's, that's going to happen. That's besides the point. It was more my decision-making to do that rather than going to where I knew the fish were and catch them. Um, so that really frustrated me off the year. And from there, I was super motivated to uh, make it up and get as many points as I can. So from there on the rest of the season, the last six events, I, I got four top tens and, and two top 20. So it was a great year. Um, you know, the one that I'm probably the most proud of is, is Lake Gunnersville because I always considered the Tennessee River my weakness, my nemesis. So to, to have a good finish there, I caught 30 pounds on the first day of competition as the first 30 pound bag I ever caught. So, <laughs> man, what, a, what an incredible year. That's that's an awesome stringer. Uh the dirty 30 on Gunnersville. Uh well you you said it. You're you're from Pittsburgh. I mean, 
how are you uh how are you being competitive in these southern bodies of water uh i'm imagining right you probably had a little great lakes experience when you started down this journey but a lot of these southern bodies of water must have been new to you oh yeah i mean some of my earliest memories fishing is my dad taking me to erie so i've been on lake erie my entire life always catching the big smallmouth and you know once i started getting into bigger tournaments myself on my own i went straight to erie you know that was really the only major body of water that had big tournaments that you could really spend some time and figure out was lake erie so i went there and i remember spending weeks at a time up in lake erie just learning how to smallmouth fish learning the great lakes learning how to drive in the big water how to fish in the big water all that stuff and and i've just fell in love with the great lakes and smallmouth fishing so that's something that i'll never lose i mean now that i live in tennessee it, it still doesn't matter i'm still taking a trip to erie every spring just to to catch the smallmouth just because i love it so much what do you, what is, what's your favorite erie are you uh are you east uh, east guy like the buffalo area or do you like down at the uh the bass islands area man so i always went to prescott in in pennsylvania just because it was two hours straight uh, yeah. north of pittsburgh but Buffalo is incredible. I mean, as far as probably the best fishery on Lake Erie right now, the best side would be Buffalo. I mean, they catch 30 pound bags out there every spring and fall. Um, but once the summer hits, those fish just really start roaming out in the middle of the lake and they're kind of hard to, hard to follow. Yeah. Yeah. That's Buffalo is an amazing, amazing. And not, we haven't had tournaments there for a while. So uh, like the big tournaments haven't gone there for, for quite a while. Uh, I hope to I hope they get to go back there again. It's awesome to see them fish up there. Uh, I love it except for the wind, you know. Which yeah, does, that's the, that's the no problem with Buffalo. Hide. That's the problem with Buffalo is you get any any sort of west southwest wind and and uh, you can't even fish. You're stuck. You you know you're stuck behind the break wall. Oh man, we we had a open there, and I know you've probably been here before, but we we they let it. They took us off, and and it was probably four footers, and the wind uh, intensified through the day. And uh, we had to negotiate like 10, 12 foot waves to get back into the breakwater. Uh, oh, geez. At the end of the day. And uh, yeah, just just tremendous waves uh, in that part of the lake when, it, when the wind blows out of the south. But, yeah, there's uh, so much deep water close there that it just it lets those waves build so big and there's no protection at all that they just yeah they get really big over in buffalo so so how did you get good at the, the rest uh what's uh what's the secret sauce did you uh did you just jump in the tournament trails and just you know pre-practicing the school of hard knocks learning these bodies of water did you did you take trips with your dad down south what, how did how did you develop your skill set no i mean pretty much all self-taught you know I, I fished around pittsburgh a lot so i fished the uh the three rivers all the time fished a bunch of tournaments on those so with, with a good group of guys that kind of took me under their wing and you know taught me all of the the ropes around pittsburgh but you know as i started getting into bigger tournaments like the bass nation kind of stuff we would travel to like potomac river or finger lakes oneida um, that kind of stuff so i started getting a little more regionally based and and you know making the the divisionals or the regionals and and going you know somewhere a little bit further south i know going to Bugs Island was a big eye opener for me, but, but, you know, just going to those tournaments and, uh, 
you know, I struggled. I, don't get me wrong. Like I, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't, didn't belong there. So, but when you struggle, at least for me, I learned so much more than, than when you just show up and catch them. So right. every time I had a tough day, I would just think about it and, you know, do some research or do some studying on what I did wrong or what I need to do and then apply it the next time I go out and just continue that. I mean, literally all like my whole life is just eat, sleep, breathe, bass fishing. It, it's all I ever do every single day. I'm doing something or researching something to get better at bass fishing. And it's been that way for as long as I can remember. So it just kind of snowballed from there. And, and here we are. I can't believe it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And you're on a, you're on a great track cause you've won, uh, before this one, obviously, but, uh, the, uh, I, do you think living in the Three Rivers area, um, because there's no fish there, has, <laughs> <laughs> has helped your mental toughness and in, in being able to definitely deal like with not I think them? mental toughness is one of my greatest strengths from growing up fishing there. Just because you know you're you're in for a tough day of fishing, and you know that just <laughs> you you got to stay focused all day long. You can't let up for one minute and it's really helped me because, you know, as I started fishing more tournaments there, I really learned the importance of making sure you land every bite. So when you're not getting many bites throughout the day, you got to make sure that they count and you put them in the boat. So I've always prided myself in that, that I want to make sure that my equipment's top notch. You know, I got the right hook, the right line, the right rod, everything for whatever technique I'm throwing to maximize my chance of landing fish, just because bites are so critical, especially, you know, where I grew up fishing that I, it just programmed me that way that you got to make sure your equipment is exactly right. Every single cast of the day, because you cannot afford to lose a fish. Wow. That's a bold statement. That's fascinating that's, study. That's uh, huge right there. Yeah. And there's, it, it applies to so many, so many facets of, of tournament fishing other than just growing up on say the three rivers. I mean, you know, efficiency is huge. Efficiency is, is almost King in this sport. And, you know, it, it's the little things you don't think about like, you know, yeah, we all, we, we all think about, okay, we got to make sure that uh, our treble hooks are fresh and all, but what about all the other baits? You know, like how often do you touch the tip of your chatterbait hook to make sure that it doesn't have a turnover on it? How often do you exactly. look how often do you look at your flipping hooks? How like all those little things? Like what? How 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 frequently are you retying? How you know it's? Well, let me ask you this. Okay. Let me ask you this, Matt. What what did you do? Uh, how do you do that? How do you make sure that you're going to land every fish? Do you do you like test equipment out and assess your strike to catch ratios? Do you practice landing fish by? hand like what what is your strategies to maximize the landing of every fish all of it i mean all of it. it it is like it starts from literally day one that that you you start thinking about bass fishing i mean everything from just trying different hooks in a bait you know trying things so let's just take for instance a, a fluke or a d shad yamamoto d shad like i threw that a lot in pittsburgh and and when i first the first time i rigged up a fluke it was with like a three aught EWG hook. And that's probably the most standard hook that everyone uses. And you go out, you might catch a few fish, but, but you, you notice, or I noticed 
that I started losing fish or missing fish. So I'm like, there's got to be a better way to do this. So then I, I started experimenting with like a round bend style hook. It's a little bit longer, different gap. And I started catching more fish that way, but I was still missing some. So I start messing with it a little more and, and I end up settling on a straight shank hook exposed style. So whenever those fish even nip at it, there is no, no plastic in the way that they just get the straight hook. So just little things like that and just spending so much time on the water and, and doing those sort of things with every technique and every everything that you do you know messing with different treble hooks different size line different every different rods i mean it's so much time and effort behind the scenes that nobody ever sees or talks about that i make sure that i spend to know that if a tournament day comes along and I just want to pull out a random shaky head that I know I got the best shaky head that's going to hook the fish and land the fish every single time, you know? So yeah. I know I have the utmost confidence in my equipment and everything, every technique. And if there is a technique that I don't feel that comfortable with, I'm going to spend days on the water in the off season or even in during the middle of the season in between tournaments, you know, dialing it in and figuring it out just because, if for some reason I need to use that technique in a tournament, I want to know that I'm confident in what I'm doing or what I'm using. When we were Huge. talking about the, uh, the Erie and the big water, we had a, a question come in from Howie range and he wants to know, how did you learn to control your boat in the big water? And, you know, especially dealing with wind and rain, like you had at Saginaw Bay, what was that process like? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I grew up fishing, with an old boat. I mean, I, I was just a, a broke kid from Pittsburgh. So I, I had no fancy equipment, no boat. I, I mean, when I started going to, to Erie, after I graduated high school, I bought a $3,000 Ranger bass boat. It was a 370 V I believe, or three, three something, 373 V with a 150. It was a 1987. It's an old boat. I mean, I couldn't imagine how rough it was riding in the waves now that I'm in a nice Phoenix. Like I couldn't imagine, but, but it taught me so much about, you know, just riding, driving through the waves and, and, you know, controlling the boat, you know, one tip, if you're drifting, um, which, you know, I used to do a lot of drifting, but now the equipment's so good with, with new trolling motors and spot lock and especially live scope has changed how I fish. But whenever I was drifting a lot, you could turn your motor, on the back of the boat one direction and that helps keep the nose of the boat kind of sideways with the waves so that you can fish properly and the boat's not wanting to turn to to drift with the waves so it, it just kind of helps little things like that i've learned over the years um but you know it still applies today for sure i was watching you fish uh of course you fish barefoot um yeah which is um a lot of guys ot does it too I think I think that might help for some stability and actually in the rough water. I, I was thinking that probably helps because I know you're one of the few that's out in those giant waves with no butt seat, no leaning post. Uh, yeah. You're you're just balancing on your on your tippy toes. I, I enjoy it. Take note. So I, I'm probably a little weird in that sense, but I I love the big water. I love the waves. Like I love fishing in them. They don't bother me at all. You know, I, I, I hate a seat up there. It just gets in your way. And whenever you take your balance off your feet, like you're, you're 
throwing your whole balance off your body. So whenever those waves are rocking or you, you go to stand up to land a fish, like you're not prepared for it. You're not, you know, you're not used to the boat rocking side to side or up and down. So, you know, that's why I choose not to use a seat. Um, just because I want my legs and my whole body adjusted to the conditions. So whenever I have to get off of that seat, that I'm, I'm fine, you know, it feels normal. So I can run around the boat just fine and, and not feel like I, I'm, uh, just got out in the waves or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to my, my younger days of always fishing on Erie and, and I just, I've enjoyed the big water so much, you know, you got to definitely have to respect it like it the mother nature can hurt you in in a hurry those waves can get really big they can sink your boat but i am confident in it i love it and uh it it doesn't scare me but i definitely respect the waves for sure yeah that's a that's a true statement for me uh i fall in when the water's calm so uh (laughs) in rough water i need a little help uh, (laughs) yeah yeah I want to to get you a seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Some, some swimmies, a seatbelt, you name it. I need it. <laughs> the, uh, the, the question I have for you, um, because you, you talk about the importance of, 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 uh, getting fish in the boat, because I, I just reached, I just fished the open up on thousand islands and tying into some of those big, I was fortunate on day two to get some of those four and five pounders. Um, they challenged the the death out of me uh, landing those fish. Uh, what what have you what have you learned to be efficient about it? Because you're 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 pretty comfortable. I see a lot of people struggle with that process, myself included. I think I I was wrestling with it. Um, what, what what have you learned about that process uh, as far as getting those fish in the boat as efficiently as possible? Yeah. So I mean, when I'm fighting a big smallmouth, to me, I'm extremely confident in my equipment you know my rod my reel my line my hooks so i'm taking my time i i like to keep my drag fairly tight for the hook set but once i hook that fish i back that drag way off and just let that fish do his thing because i like i said i got confidence in my equipment you just let all your equipment do the job let that fish tire himself out keep steady pressure on him and eventually he's going to come up and uh, he's going to be pretty tired by the time he gets to the side of the boat. So he's not going crazy and, uh, you know, jumping all around. And that's usually when disaster happens, when, when you get a fish up and he's too hot still. So that's probably the biggest problem I see with, with people landing fish, especially smallmouth, is just not taking your time and, and trying to horse them in and trying to uh, trying to land them while they're still too fresh like they're they're amazing creatures like they never give up so you gotta you gotta take your time and i know that the fish at saginaw were fighting so hard like harder than than an average fish for sure so some of those battles were two three minutes i mean i'm just letting my drag go letting my rod my reel my line do all the work and then by the time they get up next to the boat they're pretty tired you can just scoop them or or eagle claw them i call when you just clamp over their gill plate and and scoop them in the boat yeah yeah that that three minutes is like three years in real time yeah in (laughs) in a tournament situation you're like get in the boat man i know like come on come on and that's that's where trouble happens when, when you start getting impatient, you just got to let them do their thing. And, and, you know, just, I feel like half the time I'm just sitting there praying the whole time, like, Lord, please help me land this fish. Come on, come on. <laughs> That's a good use of that time. I promise you it's a, it's a stressful situation, but let's, you were using a drop shot, uh, a shad yeah. tape worm. 
what what uh what was your hook that that your you know your your confidence hook your and your line i'm assuming you're using braid to a leader yeah so we'll go through the whole setup so it's a favorite hex spinning rod it's a seven foot two medium heavy um so um, you guys hear a medium heavy you probably think it's a little heavy but but favorite spinning rods run a little lighter than than other brands so it's more like a, a medium and some brands so it's a seven foot two medium heavy spinning rod um you gotta have a, a good high-end spinning rod with a good drag that's the most important thing in fighting the big smallmouth but yeah like you mentioned um 15 pound seagar smackdown braid in the flash green color and then i tie a fg knot to a seagar tattoo fluorocarbon so generally i use eight or ten pounds so i start with 10 pound fluorocarbon and if i'm getting bites then i'm just sticking with that if i get to really clean water or you know i feel like i need to downsize a little bit i'll go to eight and rarely six but it's always going to be that seagar tattoo fluorocarbon it's the strongest best fluorocarbon i've ever used and, and it is just excellent for railing in those big smallmouth um then you know when i'm smallmouth fishing I am 100% of the time throwing a shad-shaped worm. I've caught so many smallmouth on it. it. It goes back to the confidence thing. You know, I used to have all these different smallmouth baits, gulp minnows, gulp gobies, robo worm. I mean, so many different baits. And I always found myself going back to the Yamamoto shad-shaped worm. So essentially, I've gotten rid of all the other smallmouth drop shot baits and just totally got rid of them out of my mind. Whenever I'm smallmouth fishing, I'm going with a shad-shaped worm. And uh, I, I like to use a, a nose hook. So I use the, uh, it's a number four Trocar TK150 drop shot hook. It's similar to your other brand drop shot hooks, but with it's the Trocar, small. their sizes run a little bit bigger than other brands. So the number four Trocar is similar to like a number two and other brands. So okay. it's uh, it's still a pretty small hook, but but not as small as you might think when you first hear the number four. Um, so that's the setup I was using there. And then an Epic Tungsten teardrop drop shot weight in three ace or half, just depending on the depth of water and, and the wind and conditions. But I'm basically taking that shad shaped worm and I nose hook it. Actually, I got a pack right here because we were just doing a, doing some pictures. So this is, this is the bait that I use to win the tournament and essentially angler of the year. And it's pretty special because it's a, it's a color that I designed this year for fish usa so fish usa is an online tackle retailer that they wanted to do an exclusive color in this so i designed this bait right here i don't know how good you guys can see it it's a two-tone bait so it's a laminate the bottom is natural shad color and then the top is like a dark green pumpkin so it's an excellent um goby imitator perch imitator even even a shad L-Life imitator. I mean, it, it looks so natural in the water. And that's what I wanted with this bait because a lot of times when you get cloudier days, they can't see your, your lighter baits. So probably majority of the time I go to the natural shad color first, but whenever you get darker conditions or dirt, a little bit dirtier water, that's when I wanted this color. And I literally designed it for the exact situation that we had on the final day. And to have all those big smallmouth eat the bait and the color that I designed, it just is just meant to be. It was just so special of a day. Uh, that what a thrill! What a cool cool bait. Uh, no secret sauce. You don't have the like the Taku uh, uh, special sauce powder. Uh, 
man, we got a little we got a little secret sauce we dumped what? in there. We, we we soak them overnight in a little secret sauce, but I don't know if we want to talk about that just yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, another another custom fry. Oh, we got secret smallmouth sauce. There's something about that, Riz. Hey, Everybody's I will got say smallmouth sauce. I will say smallmouth. They they love scent. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they can actually smell it or if it just if it's in my head. But but. Anytime I'm smallmouth fishing, I'm I'm soaking my baits in some scent. It, it's really nothing secret. I just like to use a, a garlic oil, just uh you know just a little something in there just to make it smell a little better and, and help them hold on to it a little longer. Nice, awesome. I was reading that Taku's scent is shrimp. It's it's like a shrimp smell. So yeah, that has to do it. Is yours shrimpy? <laughs> no, mine mine is straight garlic. It smells like like you're in Man. an Italian restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got an idea, Pete. So like when I when I cook 90% of the time, I use the same concoction. It's olive oil, salt, pepper, paprika, and Italian seasoning <laughs> and some minced garlic in there. I might start soaking my secret in sauce. It. I don't Try know. It. You'll be surprised. <laughs> I like it. We got some other IM questions. We do, yeah. So Howie wants to know. Matt, do you use an Aquaview camera or a flogger, and did it come into play at all during the tournament? Great question. Yes, I use use both of those. They they both have a time and a place for sure. So the Aquaview camera is is really, I mean, it was a pretty well kept secret for a while, but it's kind of come out the last few years. And uh, you know, the thing about the Aquaview is it is a excellent tool to just quickly drop down there when you find a group of fish and find out if they're bass, they're walleye, they're drum, whatever they might be. Because whenever you're, you're idling and you find a group of fish or, or see them on your live scope, sometimes it can be hard to tell the difference because those three species look very similar on your sonar. So the Aquaview, you drop it down there, you can tell if they're bass, they're, they're sheephead, drum, walleye, whatever, you know, and, and, seconds you know what they are so you don't even have to fish for them you can just use it in practice and know um that's really the only time that i like to use it i don't like to spend a whole lot of time staring at the screen i would i would rather be idling or looking at my live scope than just aimlessly looking at the aqua view but whenever i find a group of fish and maybe they won't bite or i just don't even want to fish for them you drop that camera down there and you know instantly what they are. And, and that's a huge help and a benefit whenever you're practicing. And then the flogger, I mean, of course, you, you got to use a flogger whenever you're fishing for spawning smallmouth. So the flogger played a big role at Cayuga this year in, in that spawning smallmouth tournament for sure. Yeah, that was a that was a big player uh, in that tournament. Mm -hmm. You got another yes. question for Um I know Matt? that you mentioned that you looked up to KVD while growing up. But who was the first person to introduce you into fishing? Oh, my dad. I mean, I, I was fishing before I can even remember. I mean, he has, I'm sure he has pictures somewhere of me fishing when I'm, you know, not even two years old. He's, he had me out in the boat fishing. So I've, I've been in the boat my entire life. I don't ever remember not fishing or not being ate up with bass fishing. I mean, it's for my entire life. Our um, subscriber, Sean, wants to know, at what moment did you realize that you wanted to be a pro angler? That's a good question. You know, I, I don't, I can't think of like an exact moment. You know, I, I always loved fishing and, you know, wanted to, wanted to fish as much as I could. But 
I would say it wasn't until I was in my teens that I realized like, hey, you can actually do this for a living. Like you can make money. And it was probably around that time when I, with, with that picture with Kevin at the Bassmaster Classic, when they came to Pittsburgh, that was really my first exposure to a major tournament. So it, it was probably sometime around then where I'm like, man, this is really cool. Like this is something that I could do. But again, I mean, it, it was just a pipe dream at, at that time. There was, I had no idea how to get there or how, like how to even start to get to where I'm at today and not to mention didn't even have the money or any any sort of means to do it I mean my dad and I fished out of a 16 foot aluminum deep v boat like that that was all we could afford that's all we had so that that's all I fished out of until I graduated high school when I bought a three thousand dollar ranger bass boat and, and started fishing more tournaments so probably about when I was 16 I really started taking it upon myself to, to get better and not, you know, not just go fishing with my dad and fish little club tournaments. You know, at 16, I joined the Bass Nation, was started fishing as a co-angler a little bit. And then once I got that ranger, I, I started fishing as a, a boater and uh, just kind of snowballed ever since then. And, uh, you know, I look back a few, few special moments that happened throughout the year and like, Literally, this parking lot I'm sitting in right now doing this interview is where my life changed and this entire career started with winning a Toyota Series event right here that gave me the money to fish the FLW Tour the next year. Otherwise, I never even would have been close to being able to afford to fish the FLW Tour, and uh, it's turned into a Bass Pro Tour Championship <laughs> and an Angler of the Year and $200,000. I mean, I, I can't believe it. <laughs> I see that big $100,000 check back there. <laughs> that looks pretty sexy back there. Yeah, yeah. I like those. <laughs> I need more of those. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, would you get 100 for the AOI and 100 for the tournament? Yes, sir. 100 for each. Wow. Well, I guess you can afford a few more entry fees now. <laughs> yeah i i think we're we're good i think we're good <laughs> man well i i want i want to ask you this we're gonna let you go i know you're uh taking some time to talk with us you're gonna go try to fish a tournament this week but uh i i had a question about transducers i know some of the guys are running multiple forward-facing transducers now up to five on their boats uh are you in that group are you uh how are you rigging your uh forward-facing now I I don't have five, but I I do have two on my trolling motor, and I'm considering adding a third for perspective mode. But I on on the front of my boat where all the live scoping goes down, so I, I have a I, I like the Garmin live scope better than than the other brands. But I I I'm not just one brand loyal. I use all the brands on my boat. You know I I want to use what excels at each little niche that each brand has. So I like the Garmin live scope. I have the, the live scope plus the LVS 34. So I mount my main live scope transducer on the head of my trolling motor down by the prop, just cause I want it as low in the water as possible. And I want to be able to get it dialed in and, and be able to see the best because whenever you're, you're scoping around and covering water, you, I want it on the head of the trolling motor so I can, you know, cover water efficiently and not have to take my foot off the trolling motor pedal. So I have that one connected to actually a 16 inch Garmin unit, the 8616. And uh, that, that's the one that I stare at the most. That's the one that does the bulk of my work. 
And then I have a, a pole mount mounted to the trolling motor as well that has another live scope for situations when I would spot lock. I can, I can scan with that. It's essentially like another trolling motor shaft that I can scan around with a separate foot pedal and get lined up on where I should be casting without my boat moving. So I can anchor my boat, spot lock mm -hmm. in one spot and point that live scope transducer wherever I need to be throwing. And that's more for, for structure fishing. You know, if I'm fishing a ledge or a brush pile or something like that, I can anchor the boat so I don't have to worry about controlling the boat and then point that one wherever I need to be casting and make sure that my bait's hitting the, the spot every single time. Awesome. Yeah, it makes that makes a lot of sense and uh it seems like everything's going in that direction with uh with the multiple transducer units and i imagine yeah. you're going to be using them this week yeah uh, up there at the toyota on thousand islands are you uh where are you launching that tournament out of the tournament's launching out of messina so it, it's a okay. long ways up the, down the river i guess um you making the run well, I mean, we just got here to Clayton. This is where I generally fish is, is this region. It's where I know the best. So uh, we, we got, you know, a few hours of practice here over the next two days. So <laughs> hopefully we find something. Well, what, what you have that, that nobody else has right now is momentum, and that is priceless. Yes. And, uh, and you have experience here, and you've already got a W on this body of water. So uh i would certainly consider you a threat and wish you all the best and and want to thank you so much for for taking a little practice time to visit with us man we really appreciate it and uh and we really appreciate you you working with us at the classic this year um we're very excited to be releasing uh your tight lining seminar that you did with bash university this year we're, we're thrilled to have that thanks so much for working with us Oh, of course. Yeah, I'm excited to share that with all the subscribers. You know, that kind of goes back to what we touched on earlier about, you know, the preparation and techniques that I wasn't really familiar with that I spent days upon days working on that technique and perfecting it, getting the right jig head, the right bait, the right line, the right rod, all of that for it. So all that juicy information is going to be in that seminar that, that's coming soon. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll let you know when it hits, uh, you know, hits the shelves, which should be, uh, week. Th this week, next week at the latest. And, uh, hopefully maybe you'll be holding up another trophy by the time, uh, <laughs> that, oh, man, that, that would be something that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations again. Thanks so much. And, uh, wish you best this week and, uh, you know, at the upcoming Red Crest. Thanks Pete. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me guys. All yeah, right. Matt Becker, the champ. Yeah, Thank you, buddy. Man, oh man. AOI, big W. Come on. Yep. That's the pinnacle, Rich. That's it. 200,000 200, greenbacks to go catching some green and brown fish. 200 Gs. That's a nice little. Uh... I think I'll get into fishing. <laughs> you better get started, I Jocelyn. Better. You got to start. You got to, well, it starts with one catch. That's true. We're going to so get that's that the too. best pro tour not do anything with rookie of the year. I guess Just not. Nothing at all. I guess not. I guess that's crazy. Very interesting. But he is that as he well. He should have three trophies. Should have three trophies and yeah. three checks. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I, I, um, yeah, nobody, nobody addressed that as his ROI. I know, of course, they do it on the elites now, but they didn't. I mean, that's sort of relatively didn't, they didn't new. Do it. 
you would have been an ROI, right, Pete? I would have been. A, I was an ROI. You were. I would have been. I was the ROI. <laughs> Give it to just, him. Just no track. I, I'm still waiting on the check or and the trophy, but uh, that was back in the seven, email, 1797 uh, before any of these. Uh, <laughs> Uh, trophies came around but uh guys what a great deal we're going to be giving away some really cool prizes if you're watching on social like and share the feed we're going to take a quick commercial break we're going to be putting together our grand prize question so get ready we're, we've got a great prize pack that we're giving away including uh courtland line which i love and missile baits a custom color only available at tackle direct but we're going to be giving away that stuff uh shortly as well as uh waterwood crankbaits for liking and sharing the feed. So we'll be right back after this. I'm Pete Gluzek, the Dean of the Bass University, and we're excited to partner with Waterwood Baits and showcase their innovative handmade approach to making amazing lures. Hey guys, this is Elite Series Pro Todd Alton here. Just wanted to tell you a little bit about the company Waterwood and their crankbaits and topwaters they're building. They're high quality baits. They're made from a marupa wood that's you know, grows in the rainforest in Brazil. It's 1.5 in all of the waterwood baits because of the wood will be a staple in my arsenal from here on out. I love it. Spotted bass. It's got the old waterwood. You're dope. All right, do you guys know? Oh, oh we're back. Cortland Line Master Braid, America's premium super braided fishing line. Manufactured in our Cortland, New York facility and constructed from the highest quality spectra fibers available. Cortland Line Company, made in America since 1915. I have to have the best eyewear. My eyes are essential to doing my job. It's the highest quality lens that I've ever used. Top of the line performance in these glasses. But they're priced for absolutely everyone. The everyday angler can afford them. As a touring professional pro, if I can depend on them, I know the weekend angler can as well. Hobie eyewear, built for the pros. Price for everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. A uh, lot going on uh, in fishing. What what a crazy week it has been. Um, I want to congratulate KVD on his retirement, his last official regular season tournament. Of course, we'll see him at the championship, and uh, who knows where we'll see him uh, again. But I uh, want to invite you guys to check out all of KVD's uh, instructional content, some of the most viewed and powerful teaching seminars on Bass University are with Kevin, especially some of his crank his crankbait uh, seminars and his how to how to fish deep fast, amazing stuff with Kevin. Uh, and we look forward to working with him anytime in the future. Congratulations on the retirement! But uh, we had a great seminar from a very popular angler that is making his way out on the Bass Pro Tour, Ryan Salzman. Uh, Rich, that was released last Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Ha uh, last week's release on Thursday was how to be a proficient angler. Um, and man, wow, what a seminar! The first thing, <laughs> first thing I'll note is just the absolute the the energy that Ryan brings as an instructor, and just his approach to his approach to fishing in general. Um, you know, he he really 
he put he he puts himself in the right mindset to go out and compete on the water every day. And he did the same thing in this seminar. He actually had our classroom for that one up and doing stretches, Pete, because it, right. it was <laughs> after did. lunch and everybody was tired. So <laughs> he took us through uh, he took us through a little bit of his uh, past military experience <laughs> and got us all stretching and moving around to get active for this seminar. But diving into the seminar itself, it's uh, it really is a great tutorial on how to how to be in the right one the right headspace to fish and then also the 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 nitty-gritty stuff the preparation that has to come uh that has to come along with the sport of fishing and it actually kind of ties right back into what we just talked about with Matt, and that's you know making sure that everything is ready to go before you start your day whether that's just going out for a tournament or that's just going out for a day on the water you know, the difference between one or two fish making it in the boat, man, that's the difference between a, a good fun day and a maybe a slower day. And, um, you know, in addition to that, you know, for any of our audience or or viewers or subscribers that are interested in maybe making fishing into a career, Ryan also breaks down kind of the process of how that has to take place, the steps that you need to take and the the journey that you need to really indulge yourself in. And, uh, you know, he was a Bash University or still is a Bash University student, a subscriber. He's a uh, he's a, he's a student of Ike. He learned a lot from Ike. And, um, you know, he 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 really goes through his whole process of becoming a proficient angler. And uh, that's why we decided to use that title for that seminar. So it's a it's a really good one. It's the kind that I, I geek out on those, Pete. I love the the mental side of fishing, the the approaches, the, you know, how to, how to make the right decisions, how to prepare yourself the most. I, I personally, that's my favorite kind. Um, so if you enjoy that stuff too, I think you'll really like this seminar. Yeah, that was, uh, that mental side, th those little tips, those little tiny tidbits that help you, uh, in your game, whether it's your decision-making or really Matt, yep. Matt talked about it and the importance of landing fish making sure that your system no matter what technique you're using is at its best the best that you can make it to get that fish in the boat um and i know jake jake and i are working on his system because he uh he lost two giants this weekend and Aww. and he's still uh very upset about it so we got to work on his system but we got uh <laughs> hopefully but matt uh becker um Tightlining seminar is going to be released very soon. We'll keep you posted on that. Maybe this week, may, certainly next week. But what what do we have on the schedule for this week? Coming up this week, we have uh, we have our on water release. This week is going to be Noah Schultz offshore grass fishing strategies with a Ned rig, and that's a really cool one because yeah. you know, I mean, at least for me, I don't typically think of a Ned rig as a grass bait, mm -hmm. but you know, this is a guy that. You know, he he hails from the Minnesota area, an extremely accomplished angler in that region. In fact, Noah Schultz just won another major championship up there to add to his his accomplishments of Champions Tour and everything. All the giant trails up there. He uh, he really does well. And um, he he showed us that you can throw a Ned rig out in. 12 to 18 feet of water and throw it through vegetation and catch both species, largemouth and smallmouth. So that's a, that's a really cool one. You're definitely going to want to check out. And then this is a great one, Pete on Thursday this week, we are releasing Keith Combs run and gun strategies. And man, that's a, that's a fun one because I think that 
when you get on that pattern where you can run and gun and you know exactly what you're going to catch them on and you're covering miles and miles of the lake throughout the day, that's such a fun way to fish. And, you know, Keith is extremely versatile uh, in his approach when he when he has that run and gun pattern going on. And he really shares with us, uh, you know, how that applies to his fishing. And, you know, I, I know we got a lot of we got a lot of bash you guys out there in Texas. You're going to want to tune into this one because he's a uh, he's an East Texas hammer. So check that one out as well. Awesome. Awesome schedule and lineup as usual with the best anglers in the world teaching about what they're really good at. Uh, Jocelyn, what's going on in your world? Well, today we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence and how that oh. AI has now come out with a platform where you can create your own baits. What? And I th was reading the Bass Blaster and this is what they created. They asked it to create a pink lizard. And this is what came up. Would you throw this? Uh, no. No. <laughs> he agrees. He's going to stick to actual intelligence. But I yeah. thought this was pretty cool. Yeah, that's fascinating. But I mean, check this thing out. You know, like the top one, like your hookup percentage is going to be outstanding. You, every yeah. fish, every fish that bites is going to be dead. <laughs> but yeah, you you got a lot of hooks going on there. It looks Blade, like a Swiss nice. Army knife unfolded yeah <laughs> seriously what what bait would you create with artificial intelligence senko uh, <laughs> you know that's the, the 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 question that i would ask artificial intelligence is uh, create the bait that would give me the the the, <laughs> the 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 most strikes in any situation right right that's that's the bait i don't know what it looks like right it looks like a uh z-man jackhammer chatterbait <laughs> <laughs> in your in your world in my world it looks like a black senko yeah. <laughs> you know so some some ver some version thereof shout out to the bass blaster always delivering uh some cool and interesting stuff and it's funny you know those baits look radical and and weird but uh um you know like i've kept it i had the jackhammer in my boat for a year before i decided to throw because i thought that looked weird so what do i know Give it another year. It'll come out with, they'll make something that'll, you know, Taco Ito will be throwing yeah, and catching the, six pound smallies. The hairy cube. <laughs> yeah, the, the sugar cube or yeah, candy cube. The tentacled cube, <laughs> whatever whatever it is. Maybe funny. he used AI. <laughs> yeah, it's funny we got that, that Matt uses the special sauce, right? Yep. Uh, I'm going to try it. Sneaky. You ought to try it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bit of research on that and maybe talk to some of our our friends in the uh, soft plastic world and try to get a feel for what, how, how do you make scent actually soak into a bait? Cause well, also mean, with the bass blast, I was reading Takus is it's a powder that it like, what, as soon as they put it in the water, it sticks to the bait. So it like forms like mm -hmm. a, a hard shell around it almost. And one, one of the things, especially with the oils is it's actually designed to, to leave the bait and, and have a slick, a trail slick or scent slick that 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 fish can adhere to there there's a lot of science that goes into all this stuff what are you uh, what are, are you a believer in scent pete like generally speaking i it's low it's low on my list and i think it and, and i think it i always am trying to improve when i'm up when i was up smallmouth fishing i was experimenting with a lot of different scents um and the funny one year <laughs> that I was using gulp was when gulp just came out, my, my co-angler on Lake Oneida proceeded to put the beat down on me by using gulp. And then he would rub smelly jelly on Ugh. top of the gulp. 
Uh, so you got two just ma two massive scents going after each other, <laughs> but yet the smallmouth was swimming right past my bait to his. So Dan Allen said blueberry flavor. Blueberry. I would pick that. <laughs> That's what Taku's powder is. The powder is blueberry. Is it? So he soaks it in whatever liquid scent and he puts the blueberry powder on it so that when he touches oh, yeah. the bait that his hands smell like blueberry and not the <laughs> bad the shrimp scent that's what he said on stage at least not the bad shrimp scent uh, well it's 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 certainly with there's something to it rich i'm honestly it's cool. underutilized by me for largemouth i use it a lot for smallmouth and i think uh it's always a part of my game that that i want to that i want to step up with uh, when you when you finalize your italian or you know, oregano infused olive oil Dude, scenario. Let me know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it because there's, yeah, I you can't make, I can't cook anything with my concoction that won't taste good. So, <laughs> so I'm thinking the fish might. Take yeah, maybe maybe you could cook fish and cook you know, the worms yeah, in it. Yeah, save save that uh, leftover juice in the yeah. bottom of the, the bag. crawfish juice. Mm, <laughs> there you go. Up, boil it. Yeah, that yellow stuff that rolls down your forearm when you're oh. eating the crawfish. That's uh, <laughs> that, put that in the can. Crabs. <laughs> <laughs> well, last chance to like and share uh, the feed, guys, over on social. Do you want to? Let's ask our uh, grand prize question, All Rich. Right, what do you got? Do it. All right. So uh, we were talking with Matt about fishing out there in those big waves, and he first learned how to fish in the big waves and navigate the big waves in what boat he mentioned the manufacturer and he mentioned the model i need to hear both of those what was the manufacturer and the model of matt's first boat awesome what an awesome story because he said that boat was not built for the rough stuff so we learned how to run uh the rough stuff in a boat that was uh um not quite not quite there for that dan allen's back dan allen back on back on that was quick 1987 ranger and a 370V. 370V. With a 150. Yep. With a 150. And, and when it dropped off the waves, it went thud. 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 Uh, that's, that's the way we built them back then. Their boats are, the boats are so much better at handling that big water now. Um, love that part about them. So do, so do all the people that have to traverse it. So, dang. Good to have you back, Dan. We haven't, you haven't won for like two days. Two days. So, uh, <laughs> g g glad to have you back in the winter. Enjoy the Cortland line. Let us know uh, your experiences with it. We love it. And uh, I'm using it. I used it a lot up at Thousand Islands. Uh, you know, the high vis 10 pound test master braid. Uh, just amazing line at managing those big four and five pound small. I think you're going to love it too. Guys, we're going to be back next week with another Bash University Live. What do you got, Chuck? Like oh, we got a like and share, and share winner, winner. Is Sorry. Pete Hirschhoff. Thank you, Pete for right. liking and sharing the feed thanks everybody for watching um thank you justin thank you riz thanks jocelyn uh we look forward to seeing all of you guys uh, right back here next week another episode bash you live